Welcome to the New Holland Podcast. Thank you for joining me once more for the New Holland Podcast. My name is Nigel Honeyman. I am the Combine Product Specialist for the United Kingdom and Ireland. In today's episode, we will be concluding our talk with the global uh, alternative fuels expert, Mark Howells, uh, and we will be talking about the energy independent farm and the opportunities that can be afforded by farming energy. Uh, Also today, we will be joined by John Downs. John is the precision farming specialist for the United Kingdom and Ireland, and we will be discussing data, what you can do with data and the management of it in agriculture today. I am not a number. I am a free man. I might have to apologise to the PlayStation generation for the Prisoner reference there. Uh, And for those of you that are too young to remember the Prisoner, it was either some vision of a dystopian future or it was a sanitary warning not to eat strong cheese before bedtime. And for those of you that are adamant that you're not a number, uh, I must apologise because I believe that particular ship has sailed. We have all been condensed to ones and zeros in a database somewhere in the world. But if better data enables us to make better decisions, then maybe within agriculture, this is something that we need to look a little bit closer at. Uh, I'm joined today by Precision Farm Specialist for the United Kingdom, John Downs. Uh, John, hello. Hello, Nigel. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, And what we're going to be discussing is data and uh, in particularly the management of data, because although it's data has been around many other industries for a long, long time, uh, it seems to be the leveraging of that data in agriculture seems to be a bit of a a novelty. Um, So so first of all, John, I I think the, the biggest question here is is where do we start? What needs to be measured? And how do people then start uh, looking at what else needs to be measured to make a difference? Yeah, no, certainly, Nigel. Um, I think that you, you touched on a point there that's probably where you, we need to begin, which is the fact that uh, data is a buzzword in, uh, in many industries, and it, it presents quite a few challenges. And uh, there's a lot of people talking about it. Um, and not a lot happening or there's not a lot of understanding as to what what a what a farmer or a producer can do um, at, at field level or at farm level with the data he's either already gathering or, or data he could gather. But f- from our perspective, I think the best way to look at it is to, to try and understand exactly what data you're gathering at the moment. Um, maybe that's looking at what machines you have in the yard, um, what's operating in your fields what data they asking yourself what data are they gathering now or what data could they be gathering um, and how better to how could that data be better represented in order to uh, to give you some kind of insight into how your business is running uh, in order to make actionable decisions you've absolutely hit it on the head there I mean I, I obviously with the combines I've been involved with yield mapping for for many many years and I, I've always made the point that yield maps have been little more than wallpaper for the farm office has the trigger now been that this data is 
easily actionable. You can actually do something with it. Has that been the trigger that's now driving people to look at data and data management in agriculture? Yield maps is a, is a really good example. Um, and I, I think the, what we struggle with is I think a lot of people feel that that some very clever actionable decision needs to be taken for, from some of this data. But actually, we should probably take it a step back. And, and yield maps is the perfect example. As you say, a lot of a lot of people have been gathering yield data for many years now, um, mapped um, and as you say, adorning their office walls with lovely coloured maps indicating yield. And, and there's two things here. A single yield map from a single season isn't going to tell you a lot that you, you, you didn't already know. Um, but built up over several seasons, we start to build a, a picture of some data that you could use yourself. But actually, a lot, a lot of the information that's being shown by a yield map, for example, is kind of validating the knowledge you already know. You you often know roughly in a field where the bad spot is, and you you may also know that's normally due to the fact that it, it doesn't drain particularly well, perhaps, and it and it holds water during wet times in winter. So it, it always has done quite poorly. But what what the what the collecting of data by the machine is doing is it's then taking what what you know or think is is occurring in the field and actually putting uh, an image or or a value against it to say, yeah this is exactly what is happening and this is exactly what the problem area is so that you can actually now go and do something about it because uh, i mean a lot of people in this area they always refer back to um, quoting many uh, many people on the subject of data and agriculture you could argue that data is being has been gathered for for hundreds of years in the form of note taking and diaries in terms of what you had been doing in that field at that moment in time what we're the phase we're in at the moment is is we have machines that can make put some of that down in a format that's that's easier to understand so a, a nice image of a yield map indicating exactly where your your problem areas are so i think we in the early days of of, of recording data from our machines combines being the primary example as we've discussed um, we have a lot of people out there that that started gathering yield maps because they recognized they needed to do it fairly early on but not making actionable decisions. But now those guys are the guys that are sitting pretty because they have four, five plus years worth of, of yield data, which gives a really good picture on the yield potential of some of some of the parts of the field. And now that's when you can start turning that into actionable data, as if as in to say, well, this part of the field for the last five to ten years, it, it it's only really yielded. It seems to have reached a certain brick wall and we can't yield any further. So you can establish that 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 and I think this is the decisions that are being made today over. Yes, we could turn that information into a variable nitrogen map with the aid of an agronomist. But really, we should be establishing what the yield potential of these parts of the field are. You could you can you could spread nitrogen until you go bankrupt on a piece on an area. But it, is it really going to break that max yield point you've achieved? And that's that's an example of taking data that's currently being recorded by machines and and, and turning it into decision making. I was going to say, I mean, you you mentioned there the use of variable variable nitrogen, and certainly when I speak to the dealer network, for example, there is a there is a big drive towards uh, people buying machines that are capable of of, of variable rate uh, fertilizer application. Now, when you start looking at this, you, you you touched on it earlier on. Is the important thing not just last year's data, but the pattern? Do we need to start? 
if you're if you're looking if you're considering going down the route of variable rate fertilizer um do we have to start gathering the raw data to base the decision on now yeah um, absolutely uh, and it becomes it becomes one of those cycles because uh, i mean to, to to use a phrase that's widely used if if you can't uh measure it you, you can't manage it and um as soon as you start taking recorded data and using it to make decisions such as applying inputs uh, variably like nitrogen a fertilizer seed uh, in case of planting you you, you then have to the, the recording then the data going forward becomes as imperative as, as the history that you've built up behind because we need to know that the, what we're doing is working don't we i guess but certainly having that that longer term picture delivers i would say higher resolution um would might be the way to say that a greater accuracy one one thing you mentioned there obviously is this integration of data from ver various sources if you only as you suggest if you only ever look at data from one source if you only ever look at yield you you miss the bigger picture to make the decision um with the with the modern farm management softwares is it easy enough now to integrate the data from the yield from from water from the uh, fertilizer indices can this now be much more easily integrated to see a full and complete picture there are a number of tools from various different suppliers that allow you to layer data gathered from your field so that you it's important that you're not only looking at yield but you're looking at your maybe your soil conductivity maps indicating soil types or moisture content or its ability to retain moisture and then also it's bringing together data that you've gathered from ground through things so whether that's been going out and doing soil sampling to get your constituent values and mapped as well um, and layering all that together so yeah the, and the biggest challenge in the industry I guess is connecting all of those third parties that provide these services into one platform where you can bring all of this together um, and that's certainly a focus from from us here at New Holland is is maybe less on um, producing well our machines are producing data but our focus is really on connecting the hardware so that the data you're generating as a customer flows to where you need it to be to build the bigger picture that you need in in decision making one one of the issues that that I know is coming around at the minute and, and again you, you you mentioned if you can't measure it you can't manage it but one thing that people have talked about at the moment is We've talked about yield maps, connectivity maps, but profit maps, actually understanding the farm better as to where they can derive the income on the farm. Is this a direction that uh, that, that we are taking at the moment? We, we've invested a lot of uh, time and money in, in new tools to, to basically help customers get get to that point there's a there's a, certainly a focus in the industry of not not only trying to use this data to try and drive higher yields but actually on a on a per hectare basis what are my fields yielding in terms of profit um, and in order to do that we have to track all activities carried out in that field we need to track all of the inputs the input costs um, and then the costs of labor, machinery, time, fuel is also a very important one. I guess, obviously, the, the biggest piece of data we're producing with our our, our tractors and so on is fuel data. Um, and that all goes into calculating the uh, the profitability um, of, of of a particular field. Um, and we we do have tools today where we can track now all activities carried out in a particular field um, with a view to at the, at the end of a season um calculating a profitability 
map basically so it's in the same vein as a yield map rather than seeing high and low yield areas we can see highly profitable parts of our field and 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 parts of our field that are either making a loss or breaking even and as we transition from uh the basic payment scheme in towards elms um to the, the environmental land management schemes um it's now more than ever it's important to establish which parts of your field are worth making that investment and which parts that perhaps if they're not yielding a return on investment at the moment um through traditional farming practices those are those are the pieces of land that we should be considering sticking into higher level environment in environmental stewardship schemes one thing that uh, that when people are starting to invest so much money and they're basing their entire uh, fertilizer application regime or their or their drilling regime and seed rates on, on on the data that they're generating is that the first time that many farmers realize that this data has a value or is valuable is the moment that they lose it um, what must people do um, in terms of having a, um, a strategy to be able to protect their investment uh, in data it's very important, as you said, Nigel, to establish a best model of best practice for your farm, basically, whether that's you working with memory sticks or whether you're working with a, a, a connected solution. And obviously, one of the big changes that that, that we have uh, with uh, with what New Holland has been doing over the last 12, 18 months with the Ag DNA acquisition, acquisition is the fact that we are now working more towards a connected uh, a solution rather than having to have a physical memory stick being shuffled backwards and forwards between the farm office and the machine. Yeah, definitely. So, so you mentioned their Ag DNA, which was uh, New Holland's acquisition in the last 12 months, which was a, an entirely cloud-based crop and data management platform. We've integrated, we spent a lot of time integrating that into our, our vehicle connectivity. So now today, any, any machine connected with our file transfer offering is sending job data back to the cloud um, which are then visible through our our, um, our online platform which which we're calling uh, New Holland PLM Connect Farm. We have this platform available that, that people can bring all of that information together from their New Holland machines also from other manufacturers machines as well but but also we recognize that there are a number of third-party suppliers as we talked about that provide specialist services in in the in terms of data management and that's very important and and that's that also our strategy with with the online um connected platform is is something called api or application platform interface i know nigel you're you're a fan of of, of huge numbers of acronyms uh, i am but uh, fortunately this is a another one but is industry-wide rather than just uh, limited to New Holland, but API, Application Platform Interface. Um, so we're essentially, we're using the same technology that you might be using on your, your smartphone to link health apps together, for example, when tracking a run or cycling. It's the same technology is being used to link data coming back from our machines with your third-party um, uh, crop management system, perhaps, or to help link from other branded machines to our platform and vice versa so we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to either use our platform to analyze what's going on on your field and to track costs and activities or to to, to get the data out of our platform and into the world a platform of your choice where it's needed most john thank you for joining me today
Mark, you and I have previously spoken about uh, the gas tractor and the opportunities that that one presents. Now, memory serves me well. Um, let's start talking about the energy independent farm. Um, we went a little bit more than just proof of concept with this at, uh, at a farm in Italy, if I seem to remember correctly. Yeah, so when, when we did the NH2, the hydrogen tractor, we also coined the term the energy independent farm. And, and back in 2009, this was quite revolutionary. You know, the idea that you get this virtuous cycle of growing the crops, feeding the cattle, collecting the waste, producing the fuel to power the tractor that can go and plough and uh, drill the soil to plant the crops that feed the cows and so you keep going round and round in circles but back in 2009 that was clever idea that was some clever marketing that, that really started people thinking as wait a minute you're telling me that that the waste that I currently pay money to spread on my land be, could become valuable I mean, I mean, you, you go back to yeah. You know, when my granddad was alive, he used to say um, he used to pick up, you know, he'd go out if someone was muck spreading, he would go and fetch with a bucket. He'd go and pick up some of the, the waste manure that was landed on the floor because he considered that valuable for his um, own sort of a, a, an allotment or veg patch. It seemed a bit ludicrous, but that was that was their mentality of 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 the older folk to, you know, to see value in everything. Now you speak of these guys and you think, oh, wait a minute, what, what am I doing here? What, what, what does this energy independent farm really mean? And it's saying, well, every, everything in the process has a value. And if you can suddenly put a value on the waste from the cattle, suddenly people's fortunes um, could change quite dramatically overnight. We in Europe, in the United Kingdom, we, we think in a very sort of more local uh, way of of seeing things, but certainly in different parts of the world that you'll you'll have experienced, some of the farms and some of the operations are sufficiently remote that they don't take it for granted that they can just pick up the phone and get a tanker full of diesel dropped in um, at the at, at the next moment. No, for sure, um, Brazil was one of the experiences that um, kind of secured that that thought or really enforced it because. In Brazil, although they've got a big connection with some of the other countries around them, that the main source of fuel comes in on the coast. But Brazil is enormous. I mean, tr truly enormous. Um, so when the, the the fuel lands in a in a tanker, say Rio or wherever on that coastline, the further you come in country, the more expensive the fuel gets. And and as you get to the farms, which are obviously away from the coast. Um, they see an increase and, and obviously they have to manage that and deal with that. But you'll probably remember, Nigel, a few years ago, there was a big um, strike um, by the truck drivers in Brazil. And what that meant was that the farmers ran out of fuel, whereas some of our farmers who who we are talking to on the gas were already um, processing. Um, I went to a farm where they were processing pig pig manure and they were able to carry on running their trucks where they'd converted because they had their own source of fuel. The, the one thing that, that really we do need to get to grips with uh, over here, I mean, we're talking about an energy independent farm. We're talking about the virtuous cycle that that uh, that we, we produce waste and the waste produces fuel that lets us produce the crops. And, uh, and so we go round and round in the in the virtuous circle. Doesn't the fact that we are now farming fuel, farming energy, 
creating energy. Doesn't this actually uh, create a, um, a a potential revenue source for farms? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no doubt, because when you when you look at the whole farm model, if you um, can capture the gas, you can then run it through a gen generator, which many farms, um, whether they be, you know, it's it's, it's obvious in let's say Africa or or rural Brazil, but there are many farms in the UK that have fluctuating um, power supplies. Um, if you can have your own gen set that can run and power your farm, um, I've heard many stories from farmers on dairies who have um, had the misfortune of a power cut during milking where they're in the pit and all the tails go up because the cows are upset. Um, they could do without another day like that and, a, and another full scrub down. So if they, the, the idea then is that you, you capture the gas, you can run your own gen set. So you are powering your own farm from the waste. Any excess gas, instead of pulling the gas from the grid, you can send the gas into the grid which also benefits the local that you know other houses or or people around you because suddenly you're pushing electricity into the local grid so you're further enhancing but you will obviously get paid for that plus there are tariffs to go because you are using a a um, a waste product to produce fuel and so so you're already Firstly, you've got control over your own destiny, shall we say, and you, you've got this income, and that's where the electricity side of it comes in. Um, and then you're processing the gas, and if you can run a vehicle on gas, you could probably run other people's vehicles if you had excess. One of the farmers I was speaking to down in Cornwall said, you know, he's able to power his own dairy unit. And then we got on to discussing, well, how often does the local... Uh, does your milk get collected? And he said, well, every other day. And I said, well, wouldn't that be amazing if you had enough fuel that you could refuel the the tanker, the milk tanker when he visits the farm? And suddenly the sort of the eyes lit up and you think, well, actually, this isn't so stupid. This is a doable, a work, a worked example of where this could really happen. I mean, the, the one thing we mentioned uh, last time when we were talking about the uh, the gas tractor and the gas tractor technology was it does require some additional investment to go from gas into going into a viable uh, fuel system that will power vehicles. Can you just remind us of, of, of what pieces of technology need to be put in to create a, um, a, a fuel that can go straight into a vehicle? Yeah. So from a if uh, let's take a dairy, because that's a hugely untapped fuel source shall we say the amount of dairies whether it be uk or uk and ireland i mean the numbers are, are colossal then you go over to the to europe or worldwide where you've got housed um, um dairy cows and you're collecting the waste obviously you're keeping it away from the cattle so you, you collect it and then you don't do anything with it so in the first instance you can run a what they call a CHP, a combined heat and power system from that raw gas, you know, at 50%, 60% methane, you can run a, a gen set and produce electricity. Then to get it to the, to, to refine it, you know, that there is some um, relatively uh, big investments there because you need to filter the gas or you need to use a catalyst or, or a wash, um, 
to remove the CO2 primarily. I mean, there are other chemicals in there like hydrogen sulfide, but in the main that can be dealt with with carbon filters. Um, and there are some others, some silicates and stuff. But generally, um, it's not advanced chemistry. It's just trying to get a controlled production of the gas um, ahead of a compressor. Um, and obviously the compressor builds the pressure up in tanks to 250, 300 bar to allow sort of a fast fill um, refueling. Most of the issue is in small scale or micro scale technologies because they just don't scale very well. The more vehicles you can supply with fuel, the better um, pound per kilo or pence per kilo you get. So the bigger the investment or the bigger community that you can serve, um, from this technology, you know, the better your investment. I, I can remember talking to an AD plant uh, up in Lincolnshire. And one of the things, one of their their key uh, investments that they were due to make was this, as you mentioned, the filtration of the gas to uh, make the um, the gas concentration a lot more consistent. And the one driver that, that they were doing for this was uh, in terms of the running costs of the gensets. They were saying that with um, with, with with better gas, the running costs of changing spark plugs and uh, and everything in the engines was dramatically reduced. That is very common. You know, if you are putting completely raw gas into a into a big gen set, then um, you know the hydrogen sulfide is going to eat away at the metal components. The CO two is inert, so it's it, it's a waste. You're you're not getting good combustion because you know to get good combustion you need oxygen and fuel and if you've suddenly filled half the cylinder with um, co2 you're not going to get a good a good combustion so if you can remove and filter and purify the fuel going into the engine you're going to extend the service life and get better optimization but because it comes at a cost most people are happy just to run you know within the status quo that that the system was put in but for sure any cleaning or or any extra work you can do and I, and we're not talking here about grid quality gas you don't need to go to the 90 98 percent quality that's required for the grid and that's where you know some of the um, vehicles that can run around the 80 85 percent um, have a huge advantage because with some relatively modest investments on the cleaning you know you can run two or three tractors which again on, on a farm you know you've got one with the loader on and one moving um, the waste around or doing some sort of haulage activities you've maybe got your own cattle um, you, you know wagon for moving the cattle around or or people are visiting like the milk collection and you can refuel their fleet or or that particular unit then you start opening up a very interesting um, move for some of these farms that may consider you know all the land around them is taken up they they don't really have space to increase the size of their herd you know they've optimized as best they can their milk output and they still are struggling to break even if you suddenly if there's an if they want to push on for the future investing in fuel production could be a very lucrative way of maintaining the family farm, but also bringing in, um, you know, a second revenue stream.
I'd like to thank Mark for his time over the last few weeks as we put this series together. Next time on the New Holland Podcast, I will be speaking to our old friend David Redman again. David will be talking us through the myriad of options that are available on transmissions nowadays. I'm still fascinated by some of the statistics that are being generated by the podcast. In particular, we are now getting listeners in Southeast Asia. In particular, a holiday destination that has a dubious reputation. I just wonder what particular combination of words they put into a search engine to come across two people talking about engine diesel emissions. And I can't imagine the look of disappointment on their faces when they did. Join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime... Please stay safe.